In today's show, we're talking Minnesota Timberwolves, a season preview, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. Indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball, on TikTok at RedRock underscore B-Ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to BirdDogs.com slash LockedOnNBA and enter the promo code LockedOnNBA for a free white tech hat with any purchase. You won't want to take your Bird Dogs off, we promise you. Thank you for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen every day. We are free. We are available on all platforms. And I'm going to continue to do this from starting from today. The in-season tournament does not matter for fantasy basketball. You do not make any adjustments for fantasy basketball. Yeah, the stats will all count. But you don't do anything in the draft. It doesn't impact you whatsoever. Just ignore it. It's going to happen. It's there. You make zero adjustments in your draft. Don't do a single thing with it. Pretend it isn't there for fantasy purposes. Also, if you want to get into the uh, FBI Locked On Fantasy Basketball World Cup, do it. There is a link to join in the description on this video or in the show notes on the audio podcast. Uh, we've already sent out the invitations and acceptances for week one of the entries. We're doing another 144 of those entries this week, and that will round up 288 entries that I'm getting in through my side of things. So the FBI, LOFB, World Cup entries, get them in. And we've only got one more team review, team preview, sorry, team preview show to go. After this one, it is the San Antonio Spurs, which will come uh, later today, I think. And then we'll be doing some other stuff for the rest of the week. So we might as well talk Minnesota Timberwolves. Ben Beacon, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here to talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that I don't know. We're going to talk about this a little bit later, but I think that their, I think their season last season, obviously there were disappointments, but I'm not sure it was quite as bad as what maybe the mainstream narrative makes it out to be. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's certainly disappointing going from in, in the 21-22 season, 46 wins down to 42 last year after the Rudy Gobert trade. But I think uh, the 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 narrative, as you mentioned it, um, tends to forget that Carl Anthony Towns missed, you know, 59 games, I think it was. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it, given that context, maybe it wasn't as bad as the narrative. But in general, yeah, I, they certainly weren't expecting to be worse last year than they were the year before. Look, uh, yeah, we I entered the season expecting you know, 50 wins for them. So I guess when yeah. you balance it against expectations, you go, well, look at this. Like this, they were way off. But you're right. Towns missed 50 games. And it's, it's not to say that Towns and Gobert playing together was going swimmingly well. It wasn't. But they also needed to have a little bit of time to, to figure that stuff out. And they didn't get that opportunity. And they started to look a little bit better towards the end of the season when things started to click. And of course, when Mike Conley arrived, it looked a little bit better in certain areas as well. So I think that there is, not that they're necessarily being slept on heading into this season, but maybe there's just a a feeling that they were just this dreadful team who was totally useless, but in the end, like that they did go out in the first round of the playoffs, but they made the playoffs and they looked they looked all right in the, in that first round against the Nuggets. Yeah, and, and there's now this like little subcurrent narrative, I guess, this offseason that certainly Timberwolves fans are clinging on to that I, I think uh um 
uh, Brian Bowen was the first one that said, made a comment about how the Wolves were their toughest matchup in the playoffs with the Nuggets. Um, even though, of course, I think it was uh, uh, Phoenix won two games. But in general, the Wolves were more competitive, did a better job with Jokic. So there's that. And I mean, two years ago, even though it felt like it was better because they, you know, quote unquote, broke through, they were the seventh seed. Last year, they were the eighth seed. So yeah, I mean, like, grand scheme of things, given what they gave up for Rudy Gobert, you would have expected them to be better. But uh, they still have Carl Anthony Towns. They still have a, a rapidly improving Anthony Edwards. Uh, this is a team that expects to be a good team this season. And that brings us to how the roster shapes up for this season because they, they head into the season really without making too many changes, I guess. Yeah, sort of underscoring that idea that they think that they've got something going there. Well, maybe it's just a misevaluation, like trading all those picks for Rudy Gobert. Who knows? But they didn't make wholesale changes. They made their change in the offseason. They made a change at the trade deadline. And they come in, and there's not that much different. Shake Milton, Troy Brown comes in. They draft Leonard Miller. They draft Jalen Clark. And then Jalen Noel, who currently remains unsigned. Torian Prince, Austin Rivers, Nathan Knight, and Matt Ryan are gone. So basically, it is Noel, who was sort of in and out of the rotation. Torian Prince, who was a major part of the rotation. They get replaced by Troy Brown and Shake Milton. And I would say that yep. Milton's a better player than Noel. I would say that Prince is probably a better player than Brown. But overall, I, I don't think it's a huge change there. I will talk Leonard Miller later. But just in terms of those other guys, I think it's it's roughly about the same and you're just hoping for you have more familiarity and improvement from other players. I would agree with that. I, I think that the hope is that Jalen Noel had a terrible year shooting the ball last year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, two years ago, he was over 40% or around 40% last year. He's like 29% from three. Um, and Shake Milton is tried and true, can catch and shoot, can shoot a little off the dribble. Troy Brown had a career shooting year last year, so we don't know if that's repeatable. But in general, and Prince is the best shooter of the four of them, right? So you lose the guy who's the best shooter, but then you re- you bring in a couple guys who are both better than Jalen Noel. So I think the, the, the thought process here is you basically let Prince go, you bring in two guys for the same price. And we'll talk about Nikhil Alexander-Walker, but they retain him in restricted free agency as well. So, and, and he, of course, was a trade, was uh, not really a throw-in, but was part of the Mike Conley trade. So if you take the roster before the trade deadline last year and then include the offseason moves, I do think that they incrementally improved just simply uh, not necessarily better players, but maybe better fits for the rest of the roster. I'm just about to talk about injuries, and I just realized I didn't put someone on this list, but I'm going to just talk about it now because Jalen Clark was drafted towards the end of the second round, but he's going to miss the majority or a big chunk of the season with a uh, torn Achilles that he suffered uh, back at UCLA. He was a late second-round pick. He wasn't going to be a huge part of things anyway, and he's on a two-way, so I just thought I'd quickly mention that, but there were two injuries that they did suffer in the playoffs with Jaden McDaniels and Nas Reed suffering injuries, but they're both ready to go now, Ben. They are, and, and Nas Reed actually played excuse me, for uh, the Team USA select team oh, in yeah. Vegas uh, a few weeks ago. So he's actually been back on the court. He's back in Minneapolis now. He's been part of the, the City Edition jersey rollout. Jade McDaniels, the, the word is he's ready to go. Yeah, like we assumed, so that was back from April when that happened. But I you know, just wanted to touch on that because they we were talking about the playoffs and the, the way the things went down there, which again, they were pretty competitive, but they also had two of those guys uh, on the sidelines um, towards the end of that series. Let's look at your projected starting five. It's probably the most stable starting five or one of the most stable starting fives heading into the uh, t- into the season. Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, Carl Anthony Towns, and Rudy Gobert. And, and honestly, I don't know what there is to talk about there. But what I, what I do want to, in terms of discussions about who could start, there is no other option. What I yeah. do want to focus on here, though, is Jaded McDaniels. He heads into season four of his NBA career. A lot of people, especially Wolves fans, were clamoring for him to be in the discussion for Defensive Player of the Year, All-Defense team. He's an inter-year four. He's established as a really, really strong wing defender. But I'll put it to you as a non-Timberwolves person. I think that there is... 
I, I don't know. Maybe this is un. It's also almost definitely unfair, but I worry with McDaniels. I think that he is a quite a good perimeter defender, but one of the things that I thought might happen last season is with those two big guys there, he wouldn't be as much of a rim protector. That fell away. But I also worry about any level of scalability on his offense because even when players were out last season, he just never seemed to improve or, or take hold usage-wise. He just always seemed to be a, an invisible guy offensively most of the time, which when people look at breakout type of players and guys taking that next step forward, I'm... You can convince me if you want, but I don't know where he goes offensively here because it just feels like he doesn't necessarily, not necessarily have that gear or, or is pushed into that next gear offensively. No, I I actually agree. I agree with you. Uh, that's my concern from him taking the leap from like a, a really good starter that is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, probably best all around defenders in the league. Um, to a true star is the offensive game. Now he did show some. He did show more last year than he did his first two years. The shot selections improved quite a bit. He used to shoot a bunch of long twos. It was kind of like this weird. He didn't know what to do when he caught the ball, so he'd pump fake into a tough two. And then last year it was more just letting it fly. So the three point rate was actually down, but the percentage was up near forty percent last season from deep. But he also got to the rim a little bit more. So we at least saw him trying to develop his offensive game. For me, it's more a matter of is there enough ball to go around? Because at best, mm. he's the third option in the offense, depending on what you think of Rudy Gobert within the Wolves offense, because obviously Ant and Cat are going to get, they're going to be the high usage guys, right? So he's somewhere, he's either third or he's fourth behind Rudy Gobert and just ahead of Mike Conley. But it's not like the Wolves ever run plays for Jaden McDaniels. He's not initiating offense with the second unit, like Anthony Edwards will hit the bench and then come back with the reserves and operate with the second unit. Jaden McDaniels isn't doing that. Um, I think in general, his feel looked like it improved last year. And that's that's a positive sign, right? He shot under 32% from three. Second season last year, he was right at about 40%. Um, so that was positive. The assist rate ticked up a little bit. Um, but it really is more like, what is the role? And in my mind, he is kind of that, you know, cutter, spot-up shooter. So the numbers may improve just simply based on volume. Uh, but because he's also a primary defender and is foul-prone on top of that, unless that improves significantly, he sees his minutes capped a little bit because of foul trouble. So... I think just opportunity wise, we may see, you know, some of those numbers tick upwards in terms of per game scoring average rebounding, et cetera. But um, I, I don't know that he is able to take that like star level leap offensively. I, to this point, we haven't seen it now. He's of course just 22 turning 23. So we'll see. Uh, but, but I don't disagree with your assessment. Yeah, I was just about to touch on the foul trouble because he played under 31 minutes a night last season because he honestly yep. just couldn't stay out of foul trouble. So I guess if you're going to look at his raw numbers, there is scope for that to get to 33 or 34, but he just might not ever do it. There are certain players who play that role that's so defensively focused that he just is going to get fouls and it's going to push him up. And it's not like the depth at his position necessarily behind him changes. It's not like they well they can still throw Kyle Anderson out there and yeah, they don't have Torian Prince, but they can just throw Troy Brown out there to help preserve some of those fouls. It's not a situation where like who else is going to play this position. There are two other guys who can fill in for him to keep him for some of those key moments. So while we can look at some minutes maybe going up, that's it's not going to be a hundred percent a necessity. And often we see those guys who have to force themselves to cut down on their fouls then their defense sometimes does suffer and especially the defensive playmaking does drop off as well. The other thing I want to talk about is the Carl Anthony Towns Gobert uh, pairing, but we'll get to that in one second because I do have to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs, they just make you look good. Not only do they make you look good, they make you feel comfortable. Bird Dogs are the shorts that you want to wear at all times. They are so comfortable. They've got this like stretch inner thing on them. 
sort of like uh, Lululemon type pants, but they just fit way better. They make your thighs pop. You look fantastic. It keeps you looking slim and taut and ripped and muscular, and they are bloody comfortable. You can wear them wherever you want. You wear them out to the shops. You can wear them out to a bar. You can wear them out to a friend's house for a barbecue. You can wear them out to a restaurant. They are going to look good and transition wherever you want because they've got this anti-stink sweat wicking fabric as well that keeps you cool and dry all day long, and that cloud knit fabric makes the shorts just look like car key, but they're not. They're actually comfortable. So go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA and enter the promo code LockedOnNBA for a white tech hat. It's free. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNBA. The promo code is LockedOnNBA and you get a free white tech hat. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. We promise you. So let's get back into this uh, starting five, Ben, because Townsend Gobert, when we did this show last season, part of my concern from a fantasy perspective on Towns was that playing away from the rim a little bit more would drop his field goal percentage, it would drop his rebound numbers, it would drop his block numbers. And when people go into fantasy sites this season, they're going to see Towns ranked in the 30s because all those things basically happened. He dropped two rebounds per game. He actually scored fewer points per game as Edwards jumped up his uh, usage. He saw his field goal percentage dropped by three percentage points. He saw his blocks cut almost in half. And while there were injuries, and that's a factor of it, most of those things were totally 100% predictable because of the role that he was playing. So I I don't really know how Towns gets back to that 25, 10, 1.2 block, 53% shooting player that he was two years ago. Yeah, I agree. And we saw the rebounds actually ticking downward last year yes. uh, in the 21-22 season. And that was a little bit a function of how the Wolves were playing under Chris Finch. He was playing a little bit more, not actually the Nikola Jokic role, but of course Chris Finch coached Jokic uh, for a season in Denver. And he wanted to use him a bit more in that mid-post role where he's facilitating a little bit more. But yet the assist rate actually dipped too. So it was it was a couple of years ago. He was very good, but the assist and rebound rates went down. And it was just more high usage, you know, a lot of three-point shooting, a lot of, uh, actually a lot of, uh, dribble drives to the rim from the perimeter. And then last year, it started off rough because of the Gobert pairing. He gets hurt, misses 52 consecutive games, uh, comes back to finish the season. And then it's, but at that point, Nas Reed's playing well. And then Nas get, eventually gets hurt. So it's like this weird, you know, you had too many bigs and you have the same problem coming into this year. And um, so I, I, I agree with that as well. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I do think the offensive numbers will bounce back. The shooting percentages uh, you mentioned were down, but I mean, it was the worst three-point shooting percentage he's had since his rookie season when he was shooting a really low volume and it wasn't really a part of his game. Um, he was 41% two years ago, three out of four years over, actually four out of five years over 40% prior to last season. So I would expect the scoring to come back a little and certainly the three-point shooting percentage um, and maybe even the assists, although the assists were pretty in line with where he'd been prior to the injury. Um I think the rebounding, though, I don't know where that comes back from because you have Rudy Gobert, you're playing a big lineup, you've got other guys rebounding, and you still have Towns pulled away from the rim because of just simply spacing. Um, so I, I agree on rebounding. I do think we see a little bit of a better shooting season and all-around offensive season from Carl Anthony Towns next year. Yeah, I think the three-point shooting can go back up, but the problem with his overall field goal percentage, which of course is a terrible way of measuring efficiency, but unfortunately it's what fantasy basketball does, is that instead sure. of taking 30% of his shots from three, he took 38% of his shots from three, and it's just an inherently lower percentage shot. So when you're hitting 58% from two and 40% from three, if you take an extra, like almost a third more, or uh, 33% increase in three-point attempts, then that field goal percentage is going to drop down. So heading back to that number that he was two years ago means he has to take fewer threes, and I just don't think he's going to do that. Yeah, well, and, he, and they also don't really post him anymore. I mean, two years ago, he did a little, but like last year when he was healthy, again, 29 regular season games, I mean, he wasn't, I don't know the exact post-up numbers per game, but he wasn't, under Chris Finch, he's not posting up like he was under Ryan Saunders a few years ago. And, and I know that that's, 
kind of a general thing in the NBA, but like Towns is a really good low post player. And, and I know that uh, in general, though, he was efficient on those, on those post-up opportunities, but now he's facing up more from the perimeter. He's playing in the mid post. And when he faces up, he actually gets to the rim a fair amount and the free throw rates pretty good. Um, two years ago, it was a career high free throw rate for him was just getting to the line a ton. So hopefully if that calf's fully recovered and he's playing now for the Dominican Republic, he says he feels way better than he did even in April. So, um, if that's the case, he'll get more touches on the perimeter too. And so, um, if some of the, the one area I would say he did grow last year for people that didn't watch him regularly was decision-making. Um, the, even though the turnover rate was up and I think it was a career high, it just kind of felt like he was doing less of the crazy passing. Like he tried to do a couple of years ago, trying to be like a Jokic type big. Um, Cause he's a good passer when he stays within himself. And I think in general last year, the decision-making in, in a small sample was improved. There could be some opportunity there just with the ball in his hands more outside the arc on the perimeter from a three point shooting and, and playmaking um, standpoint. You're right. His turnover percentage did go up. It was at 13.9, 13.7, 13.4 years before that, but it was at 15% last season. But, in terms of raw turnover numbers, the turnovers actually went down. He was at 3.1, 3.2, 3.1 the three previous seasons. He was down to three last season, which is still a high number. But for a guy with the ball in his hands that much and who's initiating offense with his passing, it's not a it's not a terrible number to see him there. I'm going to talk about Anthony Edwards a little bit later on, but I do want to just get to the rest of your rotation here. Kyle Anderson, who started tons of games last season, um, I would expect that his numbers drop because it's just, yeah, barring injury, he's not going to have those minutes there. Again, there's Nas Reed, there's Alexander Walker, Troy Brown, and Shake Milton. That's how I see it going. But what I do want to focus on here is Nas Reed, because people who do play fantasy will know about what Nas Reed does when he gets those opportunities. There were some weird sort of whispers that maybe we'll try to play all three of these centers together. I, I don't really know how that's going to work. And they did re-sign Nas to a contract which seems high, given those other two guys are there. Uh, let, let's attack it from that angle. Does that contract indicate to you that they are that they would be more than happy to move Towns or Gobert uh, if the right sort of deal came along? I don't know that it necessarily signals that, but it certainly gives them that as a fallback plan. So I think it's almost more insurance if the right deal comes along. Um, I think the bigger impact is is that it, Kyle Anderson is not going to be able to play the four because you have to, I mean, with the amount yeah. of money now Reed's getting paid and and Carlton Towns and, and Rudy Gobert is um, two of those three guys are going to be on the floor almost all the time. And Kyle Anderson almost exclusively played the four last season. And we know, obviously, Chris Finch wants to play big. He really has no other choice. So part of that is Jade McDaniels is always playing the three. And Kyle Anderson will probably also almost always play the three. And we could talk more about that later. But that's that's not going to be good for Kyle Anderson, at least over the course of his career. He's been much better. The bigger, you know, if he plays the four or the five, he's much more effective. Um so that's the bigger thing. I do think Nas is going to like, there's a ceiling on how much he can play. Even if you're playing two bigs at once, uh, two real, really like natural centers at once. Nas, I just don't see how he plays more than like, you look at even what he did. And this was part of my argument for, I was worried the Wolves would potentially overpay Nas. As it turns out, the deal is reasonable, uh, but he only played 18 minutes a game last year. And Carl Anthony Towns only played 29 games. And so like early in the season, Nas wasn't even regularly in the rotation. He was a DNPCD and like, I don't know, like five of the first 11 or 12 games before the town's injury. And then he forced his way into the rotation because of how he played, but because of foul trouble, et cetera, and also the presence of Rudy Gobert, he only played 18 minutes a game. So I think there's a ceiling on what Nas is actually able to do because of, of minutes. But I also think they're, like you said, they're going to, uh, like they paid him, right? So he's going to play. It's just a matter of, you know, how much does it mean they're more likely to like give Rudy a rest night or whatever to try and preserve him? I don't know. 
Um, but it is a little bit weird because the Nas numbers with Towns and the Nas numbers with Rudy aren't actually all that great. He's much better as a kind of a small ball five when he's the only big on the floor. So it, it's a bit of a square uh, a square peg round hole, I guess. But it's also a pretty decent contract value-wise, and he's a good player. So, I mean, it's up to Chris Finch to make it work. Yeah, he's 24. It's $13 million. It's, it's not that much. But you're right. Like, he didn't play at the start of the season because the idea was that when Gobert is off the court, Towns is the center. And if you are committed to playing Nas Reed every night, it means, back to our original point on Towns, is Towns is never going to get a center minute, if, if that's the case. If they're going to play Gobert 30, 31, 32 minutes, and Reed gets 16 minutes at center, then Towns will literally never play at center yep. unless there's an injury, which also impacts a lot of those numbers, which given the contract, which is totally reasonable, but it does suggest that you're going to play. It suggests you're a part of the rotation getting $13 million. It again means that Towns is exclusively a four, which then impacts where Kyle Anderson plays, meaning Anderson can maximum play 16 minutes or not even like 14 minutes at the four. And he goes down to the three where he's less effective. So it does become more jumbled. And then yeah, he plays behind Jaden McDaniels and he well, Troy Brown then can't play at the three. So where does that all lead to? So that's going to lead into a further thing we've got coming later on. But I do want to focus on all the guys in this team under the age of 23. You've got Edwards, who's only 22 still. McDaniels is 22. Leonard Miller, 19. Wendell Moore, 22. Josh Minot, 20. And Jalen Clark, 21. There's three guys I really want to talk about here. But let's start with Anthony Edwards because... He did take big steps forward last season. We sort of thought that when we talked in the preseason that he would become that number one usage guy. He did. I think there is another sort of step coming for him usage-wise this season, but I want to posit something. Everyone and every person around is like, man, Anthony Edwards is going to take this big step forward. He's going to be huge this year. And I think there's a possibility of that. I think that is there is a chance of that. But I, I don't know if worry is the right word, but when I look at some of his numbers, especially his efficiency numbers, they've never really changed. They're the same every single year. And he's just sort of getting by on volume. And even last season, towards the end of the year, like he just, he hit 65% of his free throws over the final 10 games. He was at under 673 for the final 25 games. His two-point percentage dropped under 50% for the last 25 games. His three-point percentage is like, what, 36% over that time. And that's just been the same as it's been basically throughout his whole career. He takes more shots. He gets the line a little bit more. But the efficiency hasn't changed. And to take that next step forward, players need to be able to look at the way Shea Gould-Alexander broke out last season, went from 81 to 91 at the line and took his field goal percentage up six percentage points. Edwards has shown no trajectory of doing any of those things. And, and that's where I worry that this breakout might be, yeah, maybe it takes a few more shots, but it's just the same thing, just amplified more. Yeah, I, again, again, you're spot on. Like, I, I agree with you 100%. I, I will say he... He shot the ball a little better at the rim last year, and he got to the line a little bit. The free throw rate was a little bit better, uh, but he also shot less threes and more long twos. And so the the shot selection at times is still very shaky, and I think that's the biggest thing. Um, he sometimes gets a little bit, I don't want to say lazy, but lackadaisical maybe at the rim where he he doesn't use his full athleticism and strength to try and score at the rim and just assumes he's going to get a foul call that never comes, and, and that hurts him at the rim. But he still improved incrementally there each year. It's really more some of those threes that turned into long twos and then those pull-up threes. He's a really good catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, but he likes – I mean, he has the ball in his hands a lot, and so he's shooting a lot of pull-up threes, and that hurts his efficiency too. Um, it, it comes down to shot selection. I, I, the other thing that that doesn't show through in the numbers necessarily, but I, I, I felt last year that – the decision-making for him as well improved, at least in pick and roll. There was never a chemistry through to go bear. And that to me is the biggest thing to watch this year is, is, I mean, those guys play like for the most part, they were both healthy last year. They were on the floor at least, whereas towns wasn't. And when towns and go bear on the floor, they actually had a little bit of a chemistry offensively, or at least they seemed to, 
But Ant and Rudy never found that in pick and roll and they played a full season together so there was some talk you know exit interviews that they would spend some time together in, in france this offseason and they work on building a chemistry that's something to watch because like in today's nba and with rudy gobert and your team you have to run pick and roll and if ant's going to initiate a lot of offense he's got to be a little better there in general the decision making was better last year but you're right the efficiency has to improve the three-point shooting has gotten better every year percentage wise but the shot selection hasn't um and so it's got to like, he's just got to take that next step. And again, we're talking about a guy that, that is about to, or just turned 22 a couple weeks ago, I guess. Um, but yeah, like I was hoping for a John Morant, like third year leap from him after a couple, the first two years being high volume, relatively low efficiency. And we didn't see the kind of leap that Ja had in year three. Uh, but he's obviously a much better defender and there's, you know, they're not the same player, but, um, what he has to work on is still decision-making uh, more shot selection than anything else. And then um, also just, just using the gifts he has, the tools he has to finish at the rim consistently, draw fouls and uh, you know, rack up free throw attempts. Yeah. Look, getting more free throw attempts is, is important. And to be fair to Edwards, he did have a, an ankle injury towards the second half of last season. He played through it and that can impact efficiency. So when I talk about some of those numbers dipping over the final 25 games, he did play through an injury, which seemed like he was going to miss a lot more time than he did. So to be fair, there is that, but you highlight something really interesting about the percentage of shots taken. Like he went from 45% of his shots being from three down to 34, 11% decrease and Unfortunately, they didn't transfer to the rim. They just all went to mid-range. He went from 18% of his shots to 28. And that is somewhat of a concern to me. Not just that, but the fact that over the course of his career, he's been at 39, 37, 37 percentage of his shots at the rim. And for a guy with this level of athleticism, when you can't even get to the rim at the same rate that prime Mike Conley did, and Mike Conley's not that level of athlete. Conley was doing 41% of his shots at the rim. If you can't, and this includes free throw attempts even on cleaning the glass, that's what that includes. Like if you're not getting to the rim at the level that Mike Conley did at, at a similar age, then something needs to change there because honestly, he should be he should be living at the rim and he's just not. Yeah, and I will say like there's, uh, Wolf fans know this, Ant has this terrible, like, I mean, this is a, a whole other thing, but like he, he always is anticipating calls that don't come. He's far from the only player in the NBA mm. that does that. He has this terrible habit of just like throwing the ball up and, screaming hey and like it, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where he's a he's not initiating the contact he should be and is expecting a whistle that doesn't come and some of the time yeah he gets a bad whistle but everybody does from time to time and he's got a it's it's not quantifiable but it's one of those mental blocks he has to work through or 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 maybe not a mental block but a, something he's got to figure out to just kind of you know dunk, like we know he can dunk on guys we saw very we saw less of those highlights last year than we did two years ago and in part sure due to the wear and tear already um you know, to his, his ankle, mostly a little bit, you know, a couple years ago, yeah, I guess he had a knee. Um, but yeah, I mean like the athleticism, the size, the strength, all those reasons he should be dunking on guys. He should be finishing through guys. And, and it's like, maybe now that he's been an all-star, he'll get a few more of those whistles and then he'll just be like, okay, I'm who cares if I get the call, if I don't, but it's kind of like, like I said, a self-fulfilling prophecy where he shies away and then he just ends up pulling up from, you know, 18 feet instead of just getting into the paint. Um, and he's like, when he gets in the paint, he's good. It's just sometimes he, he, I think psychs himself out a little bit. So there's a lot of development to be had there from a shot selection standpoint. Look, don't get me wrong. He's not, he's not bad at getting to the rim. Like these are not right. bad numbers. It's, it's 78th percentile, 77th percentile amongst guards. Like that's good. Like that's the top 25%, yeah. the top 20%, but 
when you are Anthony Edwards and you are a top 3% athlete and you are an all-star and you are a budding all-NBA caliber guy, you should be hitting at 90%. You should be hitting 92nd percentile. You should be the top guy at putting pressure on the rim through getting free throws or finishing at the rim versus I'm going to settle more for mid-range pull-ups. That's, that becomes more of that, that issue there to me. Um, Leonard Miller, I think, was possibly the steal of the draft. I was very impressed with him in summer league, but we've already talked about how there are a million forwards and centers on this team, so I, I don't I don't really know how he plays, unfortunately. But the good thing is, is he's only 19, so we get a little bit of time to see that. So I don't want to talk too much about Leonard Miller because I've spoken a lot about it, but I do want to talk about Josh Minot because there were people who listen to this show who will know a little bit about him, but there'll be others who know nothing. And I think Minot is, I don't know if hidden gem is the right word, but he has got a ton of upside ability. He's got ability as a defensive player, perimeter-wise, and at the rim. I think he's got some passing upside. I think that there is... Future Star is getting really, really... It's, it's going too hard, but I'm really interested to see what he can do. But he also has no path to minutes. So what is the plan here for Minot? Do you share my level of enthusiasm for his game? I do. His steal and block rates are crazy. Are. Like If you look at college, you look at the G League, um, he plays passing lanes really well. He's got really good instincts. Um, summer league is another, like you take uh, limited college minutes, G league, summer league, um, all those highlights, what he does defensively is really impressive. He reminds me a little bit more of like a, a, a differently sized version of Brandon Clark, if you will. I think he's got that sort of that high motor rebounding upside, uh, like plus plus athleticism. Um, all those rate based stats really project out well. Um, I, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I did a pod almost entirely, an episode almost entirely on Minot, and looked at um, basically what he did in college and in the G League compared to like, this. it's not apples to apples, but like where would it rank in the NBA? Mm. And his steal and block rates would have basically been top 10 um, if you take what he did in college in the G League to to like what you saw in the NBA last season. Um, it's it's not going to translate that way. And, and like you said, he's not going to get the opportunity, but he 100% has that ability He's 6'8", 6'11", wingspan. Um, like, everything about his defensive instincts and the way that he can play in in pick-and-roll game, especially kind of the way that Brandon Clark plays in, in some ways, um, I, I really, really like him as kind of that stocks guy, right, that's going to rack up some of those steals, blocks, uh, maybe assists a little bit. Um, the, the biggest problem is he doesn't shoot from the perimeter consistently. Um, and also the log jam of forwards and bigs on the Timberwolves team. But I see him as kind of a small ball four type guy eventually. And if there's an injury, like if, you know, uh, if, if Nas or Cat or somebody goes down, like he's the next guy up. He's probably the 11th guy in this roster um, because he also has positional flexibility because he's so big and athletic. Um, the biggest problem is the jumper, but he does all the other, the do stuff, um, as I like to call it, like all those other stats. He's going to stuff the stat sheet if he gets the opportunity. And he's done that everywhere he's been. He only played 44 non-garbage time minutes last season, so really hard to judge off that. He even only played nine games in the G League, but he also averaged 1.4 steals and 1.2 blocks and had a true shooting of 65% and a usage of 25. Yeah, the shoot, again, he shot 29% from three, but he was able to dominate at that low level. So again, I don't know when him and Leonard Miller are going to play, and they're probably pretty duplicative, and it's really hard for both of them to, I think, to have a level of success on this same team. But that doesn't mean they can't both turn into really good players at some point or net assets in trades or whatever. They're really, really interesting guys, I just think, in terms of um, just stockpiling. But that's going to lead us into the next question, Ben, because we've talked all about centers, three of them who are starting caliber centers. We've talked about forwards with yeah. five guys who probably should be getting power forward minutes so that aren't going to get it. And that leads us to what the hell do we do at guard? Because Mike Conley's there. Anthony Edwards is a shooting guard. And yeah, look, you've got Shake Milton. We've got Nikhil Alexander-Walker. But 
The guard depth compared to the way the front court is stacked is a concern. And if Mike Conley goes down and gets hurt, well, then you are relying upon Milton or Alexander Walker. And I think it just changes the fortunes of this team a, a ton. Is that a huge worry that there isn't really a solo? Because yeah, Shake's probably better as a two. Alexander Walker, I think, played significantly better last season as a two. And Jordan McLaughlin struggled last season a lot. So what happens if Conley goes down? Like There is a real lack of solid rotation guard depth. Yeah, I mean, they'd be in trouble. I, I mean, the Wolves, I thought they would go after more of a, a veteran proven backup point guard this offseason. And clearly, they're comfortable having some combination of Anthony Edwards, Nikhil Alexander Walker, and Kyle Anderson, and Shake Milton run the second unit, right? Like, yep. uh, Shake Milton's the de facto backup point guard, as you said, but he isn't a tradition. He's more of a combo guard. He's not a traditional point guard like a Mike Conley is. Um, so then Jordan McLaughlin is the only other guy on the roster that would fit that quote unquote traditional point guard role. He was really good in November last season. Then he got a calf, ended up with a calf injury and was like basically unplayable down the stretch last season, really struggled in every aspect of the game. But there were times over the past couple seasons where it felt like he was a light version of Tyus Jones and just an absolute bargain at, you know, two million a year, whatever they're paying him. Like, uh, so I think the Wolves think that if they were in that sort of a situation, they could, they could be competitive in games with McLaughlin. Will they figure it out? I guess if something big were to happen, but obviously Mike Conley, like this is the last year at his deal anyway, he's like 38 or 37, I guess. Um, so yeah, if, if something were to happen to Mike Conley, I think you're looking at shake Milton running that second unit. I think you're looking at heavier Anthony Edwards minutes with the bench. He probably would just, you know, rotate out and, and just like run with a unit that includes Kyle Anderson and um, Alexander Walker and Nas Reed. Um, and then I think you could see Alexander Walker. They seem to like him initiating some offense at times late last season when McLaughlin was pretty unplayable. Uh, there were times where he just didn't play and Alexander Walker was the, the de facto backup point guard. So I would agree that's the biggest depth issue here, but the Wolves are clearly very comfortable with just kind of running out a bunch of big bodies and kind of figuring it out. Like even like Wendell Moore is not going to be in the rotation, but he ran a little bit of point last year where they had mm -hmm. issues with injuries and cause they never actually had a backup point guard last year either. Um, when McLaughlin was hurt, like they just kind of like Jalen Noel played minutes at point guard, which was horrible. And, and they just kind of decided to roll with it. And, and that was obviously an issue, which is why I thought it would be addressed this off season. But for whatever reason, I think, they believe that the mixture of Milton and Alexander Walker, who neither started the season with the team last year, will be better than, you know, Noel and whoever else they had run, you know, uh, the second team offense last year. So, yeah, it, it could be an issue. Who do you think is a breakout candidate on this team? So we talked about Jaden McDaniels already. I think just in terms of vol volume and opportunity, because he's a starter and he's obviously very talented, and we did see him shoot 39.8% from three last year. I think if if he actually sees an increase in role within the offense, strictly based on opportunity, he could take a small step forward. I know that's not really a breakout, but I, I don't really know where else to go with this other than mm. maybe Nikhil Alexander Walker again from a from a because he could initiate more offense. You could see the assist numbers go up. Um, he shot a career best three point percentage last year, which was still pretty modest, but like maybe that shot's improving and they liked him enough to bring him back in restricted free agency. So uh, otherwise, like other than like the mega leap, maybe from an Anthony Edwards or a Carl Anthony Towns bounce back to form, which we already talked about that maybe being not super likely that he's going to put up those same numbers he did a few years ago. I think McDaniels and Alexander Walker would be my, my picks. Um, you know, my sleeper pick would be Josh Minot, who we talked about. If something, but you have to rely on the roster really changing during the season for that to be the case. What about on the other side of things, a regression candidate? Kyle Anderson. 
Um, it has yeah. to be Kyle Anderson. And, and he last season was had a career high, um, or I guess not career high, but his best field goal percentage in like five years. Definitely a career high three-point shooter. He's 41% from three last year. Really low usage or really low volume, I should say, from three. Um, but he was knocking down corner threes left and right. Well, I say that, like one a game. Uh, but 41% at a, at a high clip. Um, but he's going to play the three. And if you go back and look at his time, first couple years in Memphis and back into when he was at the Spurs, the beginning of his career, he was never as good at the three as he was at the four. And he's also pulled away from the rim, so you're going to see less, uh, less rebounds. Uh, his rebound rate went down last year as well. Uh, you may see the assist rate, like he had a career high in assists last year, so that's probably an outlier, and it's probably going to come down a little anyway. But because of the no backup point guard thing, he ends up initiating a lot of offense. Anytime a team goes to zone, he's the guy in the middle of the zone, kind of you know trying to pick the defense apart. But in general, I, I'd be surprised if 30-year-old Kyle Anderson you know shoots 51% from the field, 41% from three, and has five assists per game again. So I, I'd have to say Kyle Anderson. Yeah, I, it's, it's, unless there's injuries, there's just no way. And I think people forget, Ben, is at the start of the season when Towns and Gobert were playing and McDonald's was there, he was getting like 22 minutes a night and 23 minutes yep. a night. Like he was really marginalized because there wasn't that space for him. And yeah, I think we might be in for a little bit more of that this season. Who is the most likely player to be traded? I think it's probably Carl Anthony Towns. And and I say that like not to be not to be on the whole like rumor mill of, hey, you know, this guy gonna get traded. Because I, I I've tended the all along I've kind of said it, you know, I don't think they'll trade him. I had Howard Beck on Lockdown Wolves uh probably it was right before the draft. And he said the words he uses, he would be shocked if Towns was still on the team at the deadline next February. Um now obviously at this point it's pretty unlikely he gets traded this offseason. But I say Towns because who else on this team is gonna be traded right like you're not trading Ant or Jaden McDaniels most of the other guys don't have real trade value um like the the, the role player type guys are probably not gonna trade Kyle Anderson because why would you so it's probably Cat or maybe Nas Reed I think mm. if the Wolves are 500 ish if they have a disappointing first half of the season I think their pivot at the deadline is one of those guys gets traded um and, and you know we could We'll know then, I guess, maybe who has better trade value based on their contract and how they've played so far this season. But they could trade one of those two guys. They're both probably the most tradable assets that actually could get something in return. Um, but again, that only happens, I think, if the first half of the season is a disaster. Let's talk about whether we think it's going to be a disaster or not, because they were 42-40 and 40 last season, which, again, I think is better than what people might have in their head. They had the 16th best net rating, a 0.5. Again, pretty solid, middle of the pack. You would hope for better, but it's not a complete disaster. And this season, FanDuel's got them listed at 44.5 wins for their season total over under. And Ben, you've gone hard. You've gone up to 49-33. and 33. I've gone at 45-37. and 37. That is a seven-win improvement that you've gone for. Um, I'm going to guess that your part of that is a full season of Mike Conley and hopefully Towns plays more than 30 games. Yeah. I mean, that's the recipe, right? Like last year, I thought they would, I think, I think last year I had them at 51 or 52. They obviously won 42. Um, but I go back to two years ago, they won 46 games and this is a better roster than it was two years ago. And in theory, mm -hmm. Anthony Edwards, well, he is better than he was two years ago, but, um, uh, the, the idea that he should be significantly better, you know, three years later is, is not crazy. Right. So, um, yes, that's a huge leap. And I recognize that, but I think, um, I think effectively the same roster and maybe improvements on the fringes in terms of overall fit. I think Ant, I'm counting on Ant making a mini leap. I'm counting on a healthy towns and Gobert. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to say overall his season last year was a little bit disappointing. Was that just a fit thing or was it because of the age now and we'll see this year, right? So I, I think because it's a better roster, I, I go back to what they did two years ago and I say, look, they've got to be at least a couple games better than they were, um, you know, two seasons ago. And in the West, that might be good enough to be, you know, 
five, six seed, maybe even a little bit better than that. Yeah, I think that there is a distinct possibility that that is that gets to that area. I've got them up at 45, and we'll see. We'll see where it ends up. And now, Ben, it is time for us to play a Minnesota Timberwolves-themed grid game. I'm calling it the Gritty, and these are the teams you're looking at. You've got the Wolves and the Lakers, the Wolves and the Raptors, the Wolves and the Grizzlies, the Mavericks, the Warriors. And the last column we're looking at is a Timberwolves player who averaged 20 points per game in a season while they were playing with the Timberwolves. Because we don't have rarity scores, we have to go through and do a different way of scoring it. So we're looking at the games played between the two franchises, choosing the smallest one of those two numbers, and then ranking that on a scale of 1 to 100, with 100 being the worst score you could get, and 0 being the best, meaning that's the player who played the fewest games for either one of those two teams. Are we good to go? Let's do it. What are we going with first? Man, I'll tell you, when I when I play these grid games, I always, if the Wolves are on there, that's always the one that I do the best. So I feel like a Wolves-only grid game should go okay. Um, let's go with uh, the Lakers, uh, Anthony Peeler. Wow. I remember Anthony Peeler back from uh, collecting basketball cards in the 90s. Yeah. Um, all right. That's a good pick. Anthony Peeler, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong. I think he wore number one. At least for the Lakers, he might have. Yeah, he played a, a ton with the Wolves. He was him and Garnett were best friends, but uh, I don't think he played that much for the Lakers. Well, it's, it, it's it's a good pick in terms of it being a really interesting name. Unfortunately for you, Ben, that was the worst possible player you could have picked because he played huh. three hundred and seventy nine for the Wolves, but two hundred and fifty three games for the Lakers. Two, he played the most out of anybody. You could have taken one of the Beasleys, Malik or Michael. They both played 26 games for the Lakers. I sh- yeah, I should have gone Malik B. That would have been a really obvious one. Jordan Hill. Okay. What about Jordan Hill's seven <sighs> games for the, the Wolves? He could have, yeah, well, I, didn't, I don't remember that. Oh, I, know, I do remember that. What about Lance Stevenson? He would have been a good one with his six Wolves uh, t- games. All right, where are we going next? Um, uh, There's a couple big guys, Wolves, Mavs, that I'm thinking of. And I, I'm trying to think of which one would be the better pick in terms of games played. Mm. So the two I'm thinking of are Ryan Hollins and Nathan Jawai. I think let's go Nathan Jawai. Nathan Jawai, Outback Shack. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you're probably you're probably much more familiar with Nathan Jawai than I am. I just remember everybody was excited about uh, about his potential with the Wolves. Nathan. I can't even remember who he played with first. If it was the Mavs or the Wolves, I just know he played for both teams. Well, I am going to have to go to the judges here because. According to Basketball Reference, he has never played for both franchises. So I need to find out what actually is going on there because I know that he well, was he maybe on a roster and didn't play be the big fella. He played for Toronto in Minnesota and he must have gone to Dallas and not played for them. Gosh. Let's have a look. Oh, no, hang on. How did this happen? Yeah, he was traded by the Raptors to the Mavericks and then he was traded to the Maverick by the Mavericks to the Wolves without playing it without playing a game. So see, I knew the Wolves got him from the Mavericks, yeah. and I guess I just yeah. So he was traded on the twentieth of October two thousand nine. So he was traded there, and yeah, didn't play for Dallas. That is an unfortunate one. All right, okay. what are we, we should have gone with Ryan Hollins. Ryan Hollins was uh, was a correct answer, and it was a good score too. This is not a good start, but I <laughs> I feel better about uh about the next couple. Um. We'll just keep going, going in order. Uh, Toronto, let's go um, Sebastian Telfair. You could have gone Nathan Jawai. Um Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> as I, I often do that, I'll just go through and give te- uh, context on a player then realize that it's an answer for another one. Um, yeah. Who did you go with? That's Sebastian Telfair. Is that what you said? Yes. Sebastian Telfair is a very good score. That is a 6.25 
for um, Telfair because he played only, what, 13 games for Toronto? Jawai, as I said, played the six games. The highest score on that one would have been Russia Nesterovic, who played uh, 193 games for Toronto. Some other interesting low scores. What about Sundiata Gaines? Eight, eight, oh, Minnes- yeah. eight Minnesota games and six Toronto games. And who else is... Or, and um, Corby Jang, probably. Corby. Didn't he play last year for the Raptors? No, he played for the Spurs last year. Yeah, I thought... He's not... Oh, what about Greg Greg Munro? His four games for uh, for Minnesota there, and apparently played thirty eight for Toronto. There are guys that sometimes uh, Greg Munro, like I, I know where he pl- he played in Detroit, and then he appears on yeah. on every other team. Like oh, he's three games for the Bucks, and now there's ten games for the Raptors. It's four games. When did he play all these games for these other he, random teams? The COVID year, he played for like four different teams. Oh, he had two that, different stints. That's yeah, it, yeah, he was bouncing around and playing in the G League, and wow, um, yeah, because he appears on these lists all the time. And I go. I, I don't remember Greg Munro doing that. And then his two teams that I like, honestly just don't remember him playing for. All right, we've got the Warriors, the Grizzlies, and the 20 points per game to go. I have a good one for the Warriors. Um, Jacob Evans. What? Did he, did he come across in the Wiggins trade? He was. And I'm uh, I'm like 95% sure he played in a game for the Wolves. I know he was in Iowa mostly. Wow. He was, he was a guy I was sort of interested in at the draft. And then obviously that uh, never worked out. Jacob Evans is a correct answer, and it is the best answer that you could have gotten. He played two games for Minnesota and 57 for Golden State. So that is the lowest score you could have gotten there. The highest one was Joe Smith, who's played for every team in the NBA, basically. But uh, that Evans one is a great, a great pull. Um, Omri Caspi was another pretty interesting oh, one yeah. there. Um, Troy Hudson, remember that bloke? He played a lot for Minnesota. Played 257 yep. games for Minnesota, but nine for yep. Golden State. And then huh. someone with the most random, not random, the most NPC name ever, Steve Johnson, played four games for Minnesota. No, no idea who that is. Uh, Memphis, Wiggins would have been a bad one probably at this point too. Wiggins, let's have a look. He was, yeah, he was the second worst one behind Joe Smith. Come. But D'Lo would have been okay because he only played 33 games for the Warriors. Yeah. All right, Memphis or the 20 points per game? Um. Let's do Memphis. There's a lot of choices here. There's been a lot of guys. Like, there's a lot of names floating through my mind. But I know there's a couple. You mentioned Omri Caspi. He played briefly for the Wolves when Adelman was the coach, and I know he played for Memphis. Let's go with Omri Caspi. Omri Caspi is a correct answer. He's another one of those guys like Greg Munro who just seems to have been everywhere. Appeared. I think he played. Yeah. Like, there's like a two-game Pelican stint that he had as well. The Sacramento, there's Golden State in there as well. Um, Caspi is a good score. It's a four point four nine for Omri Caspi because he played 13 games in Minnesota and 36 games in Memphis. Obviously, Mike Conley would have actually worked here, even though he played a million games for uh, Memphis. He only played 24 for the Wolves. Jarrett Culver. Oh, yeah, Jarrett Culver. He would have been on on that list as well. Um, Gorgie Jeng. James Johnson played 14 games for Minnesota. Yep. The worst score would have been uh, Tyus Jones, who's played almost 250 games plus for both franchises. And the last one we look at, is the 20 points per game. So this player has to have averaged 20 points per game in a season for the Wolves. There's no games limit on this. Um, they just have to have averaged at 20 points per game for the Wolves, and we're grading that by fewest career games played in uh, for Minnesota, in a Minnesota Timberwolves uniform. Okay. Um, so I had to have averaged 20 minutes per game 20, in 20, a Timberwolves 20 uniform. 20 points per game yeah. in a Timberwolves uniform, and we're grading it by fewest career games played for the Wolves. There are 14 of those players in Wolves history. Hmm. 
I want to say Ricky Davis, but I'm not confident that he ever averaged 20 per game in a Wolves uniform. So I'm not going to say Ricky Davis. Um, uh, let's go with... Often, I'll give you a hint for this. Often it is, there is an, there's an obvious answer that people just forget because they don't realize how few games they played for that team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and that's what I'm thinking. Like, there's got to be a couple guys, like some of the old, like, I don't think Christian Leitner was ever 20 points per game, like going way back. Gugliotta, kind of the same thing. Um, like, I, I want to say, well, maybe Gugliotta. Wally Zerbiak, but he played most of his career in Minnesota. Um, let's go with, Let's well actually. Did Marbury ever average twenty a game? I bet he did. I, I don't know, Ben, but let me give you a hint that I, I am drinking a uh, a coffee here. It doesn't cost me twenty dollars a cup, but I'm drinking a coffee right here. Um, it's it's definitely not Big Face, but it is a coffee that I made myself here. I'm not overcharging people for it. Oh, I got you. Uh, Oh, man, I hate to do this then. Okay, Jimmy Butler. Let's go with Jimmy Butler. Uh, Jimmy Butler is actually the best answer you could have gotten there. Well done, Ben. That is a 0.0 because Butler only played 69 games in his Timberwolves yeah. career. Gugliotta was what, a, what would a, Gugliotta was going to be my next. That's, that's correct. My... Yeah, 17.98 was was him. And the next the next best after Butler was actually Malik Beasley. Because remember with that oh. when he got traded and he played that like 20-game stretch at the yep. end of that season when the players were out and he went crazy? Uh, he averaged 20 points. And, and then one before that, or the next one after that, would have been Kevin Martin, who uh, did, had a 20-point season. And he only played 150 games yep. for the Wolves. What are some other interesting names on there? Isaiah Ryder would have been one as well. Okay, yeah. Uh, Zerbiak, uh, Zerbiak was one, but he played uh, quite a few games, 438. Yeah, that, I was pretty confident because he, he'd been an all-star team in Minnesota too. Mm -hmm. um, Gugliotta was on there, but yep. um, but Leitner was not. Leitner was not. No, And there was someone okay. else you mentioned that wasn't. Oh, Ricky Davis wasn't on there either. Okay, but yeah, I, I so Ricky Davis I had in my mind as like the guy who they got because just in terms of volume scoring, mm. you know, trying to keep Garnett happy and all that. Garnett obviously was on there, but he would have been the worst answer considering he's played almost right. a thousand games for the Timberwolves. Ben, that does it for us today. Well done. Thank you for coming on and chatting about the Wolves, a team that there is going to be a lot of eyes on them because if things don't go right, there is going to be a lot of pressure on this team, and we're all going to be tuned in to see how that goes. What's going on over at Lockdown Wolves at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we're talking a lot of Anthony Edwards and FIBA right now. He played well uh, against Greece in the most recent exhibition this last Friday and heading into actual play. I mean, we're going to talk a lot about FIBA um, here in the coming weeks. And then also lots of Wolves players playing, actually. Carlton Towns playing for the Dominican Republic and Kyle Anderson playing for China and Nikhil Alexander-Walker for Canada and Luca Garza for Bosnia. Like, there's lots of guys playing. So we're, we're covering all those games over at Lockdown Wolves. And then, of course, we're going to get going into player previews and rotation previews and all that good stuff as we get into the month of September. So make sure you are checking out the Lockdown Wolves podcast for everything Timberwolves. You're going to get some good nuggets there. Ben, thank you again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Josh. And that'll do it for me today. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on the Odyssey app. And if you are here on YouTube, thumb it up and leave your comments down below. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.